0: Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. Thank you, Nate. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 in just a a couple moments. Uh, If you've been with us for a little while... You'll know that we used to uh, incorporate giving as as part of our worship weekly, and we no longer do that for really a variety of reasons. Uh, One is just the simplicity of time. Another, and the primary, is actually we don't want to get kind of distracted or have any confusion or even emotion that can kind of draw away from our time together on a Sunday morning uh, when we do talk about uh, finances. And so instead of that, what we've chosen to do is every month or two We just provide a brief financial update. We don't want to talk about money all the time, but because we consider ourselves to be a church family and so many of you have made uh, what we do as a church from these gatherings on Sundays to our practices throughout the year, our trellis core, the meals we share, possible through your generosity, we want to have an open book and from time to time provide a family meeting style update on our finances. So if you're already bored to death, I'm sorry. Sorry, give me like three minutes and then we'll be good. So a few quick numbers. These are numbers for, from the first eight months of this year compared to the first eight months of 2021. So we've had 112,000 more in contributions this year than last year, which is amazing and incredible. Absolutely. That's very worthy of uh, um, thankfulness. Now, we've also had 109000 more in expenses this year than last year. The good thing is that's $3,000. We're up, uh, sort of. It's kind of complex, but yes. Here's the, the picture I take from those numbers, right? Numbers can, can tell a story as we're growing uh, and God has been so gracious through that that because of your generosity and, and his provision and how our staff is, is functioning and elders have led, so far we've been able to scale well with that growth. And I'd ask you to pray for us that we continue to do that. Financially, sure, but honestly, what's on my heart even more than the finances in terms of scaling is how do we stay true to this vision of following Jesus together, learning to trust him always, no matter the moment, in the everyday stuff of life. All of a sudden, there can be a lot happening in what we do on Sunday mornings and in our practices and groups, and that's great, and I'm thankful for that, but what we're really excited about and what we want to pursue with everything in us is how do we help guide one another to trust Jesus always not in the spiritual moments not in this box or building that we sometimes refer to as the church but for us as the church and the everyday stuff of life pray for us that I would lead well our elders would our staff would as we seek to take Jesus seriously in, in everything we do so good numbers we're excited about that a couple other quick ones As of August, we have $250,000 in our accounts and savings. Here's how I think about those numbers. That's multiple months of expenses in savings. So I think that's a healthy way to approach finances in general, that you want to have that stored up, uh, because you never know. And so we have that, plus we've begun the process of slowly but surely saving up Uh, so that, God willing, we can purchase this building before too long, because that'll have a lot of uh, impacts for us and our future. We're praying that that'll be an opportunity we have uh, in the next 12 to 18 months. And so we'll see, but that's another number to consider. A couple others. Uh, Projected 22 expenses that we kind of budgeted for the year were $579,380.18, or there is the monthly breakdown of those expenses. Here's what came in in September, is $44,395.23, given by 82... Uh, whether that's individuals, family, giving units. And then on top of that, uh, we have income from the porch who rents from us and then other event income. Uh, We've just have a variety of events in here constantly so here's the takeaway because church numbers can be kind of complicated. We're basically right where we need to be at this point in the year traditionally the uh, final quarter of the year is is a plus and so we're just thankful to be right where God has us um, and so thank you so much to those of you that have made that possible and have us on this trajectory continue to pray with and, and for us as we lead and pursue uh, what Jesus is calling us to do and more importantly, who he's calling us to be, I do get questions way more than I would have anticipated about how you can give if you want to. And so if you are in that that camp, there is a giving box in the back of the room for cash or checks, or if you want to do an online giving platform, if that's something you want to participate with us in, uh, you can find all the information for that on our website. And then lastly... Uh, if you have any questions about this, we're just an open book, so feel free to come up to me after. Or I could introduce you to our, our elders or bookkeeper. We'd love to help you understand anything that you are wanting to. That is enough on numbers. I did it as fast as I could. We will to do it again for a little while. So Exodus chapter 20. We'll continue in our long series through Exodus. A lot of churches have a variety of really unique policies. Some are like common corporate policies. Some are unique. One of the ones I've heard or experienced is that uh, a man or a woman should never drive alone in a car with somebody of the opposite sex unless it's their spouse. And I can see that there's likely a whole lot of, of wisdom in that. But imagine with me for just a moment that that was more than a church or a corporate policy, that it was kind of fundamentally built into our culture, that when I was born, by the time I could understand language, my parents started to drill this rule into my life so that when I was 16, I would never do that terrible, horrendous thing of giving a woman a ride in my car to wherever she needed to go because that would just be the worst and awful and horrendous. And so my family talks about it. My school talks about it. Where I work talks about it. Like, this isn't just a policy. It's built into everything. And then finally, when I get a car at 16 years old, my dad gives me this very significant lecture about how never, ever, ever to do that terrible, horrible thing. We can't break this rule. And so one day when I'm 16, this girl comes up and goes, hey, I really need to get to my my class over here. Can you give me a ride? And I'm just mortified. So appropriately and proudly and really rudely, I tell her, are you crazy? I could never do that because you're a woman and I'm a man. We can't get into a car together. Are you out of your mind? And I'm a jerk about it. And I'm proud that I did what I was supposed to do and I didn't do what I was not supposed to do now I'm just like filled with all kinds of anxiety. I'm just dreaming about it and worried about it. What if by some chance I actually get into this car with a woman someday? So what I, I do is I just go, you know what? We're going to extend this out further. I have a new policy because I'm getting anxious. I'm not, if I see a woman by a car, I'm going to stay at least 100 feet away because <laughs> God forbid if I get to 92, somehow this terrible, horrible thing is going to happen And then one day I'm driving in my my truck and I see this shape on the side of the road and I pull over and there's a body and no one else is near. And I walk over and this person is bleeding with tears in their eyes and anguish and pain in their face. And I'm going to take them to the hospital until I see it's a woman and I go so politely and so incredibly lovingly and compassionately, I see that you're dying. And I'm so sorry. I would love to take you to the hospital and save your life right now, but we both know there's this policy and I'm a man, <laughs> And you're a woman, so, hey, best of luck. I'm sure God will provide somebody maybe down the road for you, but, you know, we got the the policy. That would be absurd, right? Although, as I was thinking about this and writing this little story in my mind, I'm pretty sure something like that has happened in the course of history due to religion. Yeah. Uh, So, here's the thing. When it comes to God's... Commands, when it comes to God's instruction, what we have a tendency to do is grab a hold of the letter of the law, take it so far in the wrong direction, and where we find ourselves is totally distanced from what God's intent was with the original commands. The reason I think that happens is because we want to be God instead of following God, and so we like control. And with rules, we have control. This is why legalism is actually incredibly attractive, because we can control it instead of having to be dependent on God and his grace. When it comes to any command in the scriptures, any of God's instruction, the, the questions we need to be asking is, why did God, ask us to do this. Why is he providing this wisdom? Another way to think about it is, what is God's vision with this command? What is he protecting us from? Or what is he leading us to? Because God doesn't just give random arbitrary commands for the sake of figuring out whether or not we'll be obedient so that he can punish us if we're not. That's not who this God is. Though, depending on your upbringing or background or just history, maybe that's what you've been told God is like. So often, Christians are true to the letter of the law while we could not be farther from the heart of God. So often, we're true to the letter of the law while we couldn't be farther from the heart of God. It happens for a lot of reasons. This book is misused in all kinds of ways, misinterpreted, misunderstood, mistaught. The control is a piece of it, power is a piece of it. And so this, this matter is significant. We'll continue our series in the Ten Commandments this morning. We're on the Fourth Commandment. And I love the Fourth Commandment. It's the longest of the commandments, which is kind of surprising. God provides the most instruction and kind of description about it. I think it's the only one that we're like, yeah, I like the other nine, but this one doesn't apply anymore. God, God was like, high or something when he did this one. It doesn't make any sense. Like, we're often happy about the Ten Commandments. We're like, hey, they should be in schools and stuff, in courtrooms. Then we go, but not this one. This one doesn't apply to me anymore. It's really intriguing, actually, how we're okay with the other nine, but not this one. I would argue it's actually probably the most applicable, influential, and the best of ways for your life today. Of all the Ten Commandments, if you embrace it as the gift it is from God, I wholeheartedly believe it still applies to us today, not as a a rule to see if we follow God obediently, but as a gift from the Father, its impact is massive. So let's read it, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord Yahweh, your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Context is everything. Here's the context of this command within the Ten Commandments. Israel, this nation, God's people, have been abused and oppressed as slaves seven days a week for 400 plus years. They're exhausted. They've, it's just been terrible. And so they cry out to God and he saves them and he's about to take them to a new land with a new government and policies and way of life. But all they've known for generations and generational sin and culture and values are powerful is this slavery. And so he says, no, this will be no more. That's not the origin of Sabbath, by the way. It started in creation. But in this context, God is saying, as you start a new land, as a new people, be freed from that because they were slaves. If you have conversations in our lobby with just kind of pick anyone. I pretty much guarantee, go through three people, this will happen. You'll hear something like, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Cool, I'm really busy. And busy means what? I'm really tired. And honestly, if you press in further, people will say, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. I'm going to say, my kids and I are not getting along or we're, we're just exhausted trying to keep up with the house or we're pursuing this thing, but we have to choose between this or that. And you know what? I kind of think if we're honest about it, we're almost just like the slaves that they were. We don't have a king and a kingdom that enslaves us, but we have this thing called an economy. And if we don't put into it, then it doesn't grow and we get worried about it. We have probably debt that we're enslaved to, if it's not debt. Maybe it's our pursuits, our passions, our desires. Maybe you're a visionary and so you see a whole world you can create and we have to pursue it. In fact, it almost feels as if it'd be terrible stewardship not to because we have so much at our fingertips, education, resources, all kinds of things. Be honest with yourself for a moment. Are you enslaved to any of that? Just the the way of Jesus is a way of freedom. And Sabbath is a gift that can guide us towards that. Again, in order to understand any command in the scriptures, we can't just look at the letter of the law. That matters. I'm saying, look at that. But we have to go more foundational. What was the heart of what God was providing this wisdom for? When it comes to Sabbath, it was health and healing and relationships and gratitude and enjoying what he had already done. And so often we choose to ignore God in that. I gave the example a couple weeks ago of a command I can give to my kids. When you cross the street in our neighborhood, stop and look both ways. Why am I giving them that command? Not because I don't want them to cross the street. Not so I can watch them with binoculars where they can't see me so I can punish them if they do it wrong and teach them a lesson. I'm giving them that command because I want them to cross the street. Many times, again and again and again, back and forth from our house to grandma's. And I want them to do it safely. The vision is actually good. It's activity and relationship and health, but I give a command for health because that's the vision behind it. What's crazy is that so often when God gives a command, we don't see the good in the command and we have to stop to do that. The Bible almost never restricts something Just for the sake of proving obedience, it always has intent and purpose. Another way to to think about that is that the vision behind every single command that God makes is a vision of good and beauty. And that's the case with Sabbath as well, though, and, and this is important, depending on your family history, upbringing, experiences in church there going to be a whole lot of trauma packed into sabbath legalism etc. Jesus communicates and shows us the same thing in his actions and words related to Sabbath. You can turn to to Mark chapter 3 if you're following along with us. Uh, Excuse me, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. We read this. On the Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, they're the best rule makers and rule keepers. They say to Jesus, look, Why are they, your disciples, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions? Then Jesus told them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You're seeing what's happening here. Jesus, who's perfect, who is God, who made the law for the Israelites in the first place, is saying the best thing David could do in that moment when he and his friends were in need was to break the law. Why? Because the vision and the heart of the law is good for people. And then in this case, an exception had to be made. Now, this is not license for us then to go, sweet, there are no rules. God doesn't have any laws or commands that are good for us. We can just kind of take it how we want it and adjust. That's not what it is. Jesus clearly says in the scriptures, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so what he's doing here is not abolishing the law. He's abolishing the misunderstanding of it that the Pharisees put into place. And he's fulfilling what its original intent was, which is to be good for people. Very different than how we maybe often understand God's laws or Sabbath. There is this thing, there is this thing in Jewish culture and tradition called the Mishnah. It's this extension of laws. It's not God's law, it's a bunch of extra laws. And within that, there's 39 specific extra, not from God, from man, laws on Sabbath, uh, depicting specifically what is defined as work that was not to be done on the Sabbath day. And it's this extension to go, just like we talked about with God's name last week, the Jewish people went, you know what, we don't want to get too close to maybe possibly ever approaching upon misusing God's name, so we'll just never say it. And in this case, it's, you know what, we don't want to ever not remember the Sabbath day. So we're going to make a million laws that don't even actually exist so that we don't break that rule. Well, they followed the letter of the law and they totally distanced themselves from the heart of God. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 27. And Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, which means what? Sabbath is a gift to God's people. It's not a test. It's not to see if they're obedient. It's a gift from God, the almighty creator of the universe, to his people because he knows us best. He knows everything about you, the things you don't want anyone to know, what tires you, where you have anxiety, what you need. He designed you and understands your humanity on a physical, emotional, relational level. God created that and gave us Sabbath. Jesus continues, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord. You can translate that, Son of Man, based out of Daniel, is this title saying Jesus is God and Savior of Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, I am God and Savior. I created Sabbath, by the way, not in Exodus, but it's recorded as part of creation, For you, it's a gift. Not an arbitrary rule to see as a test of your obedience. It's a gift that will be good for you. Say that again. Sabbath is a gift from God for us that is good for us. This is the fourth commandment. Continue in chapter three to see how Jesus continues to, to push this. Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse Jesus, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. How crazy is that? But we do things, I think, equally as crazy. Verse 3, he told the man with the paralyzed hand, stand before us. Why did Jesus do that? Did the man need to stand to be healed? No. He's setting a stage because he wants to communicate something. He's not abolishing the law. He's abolishing their misunderstanding of it that didn't take into intent God's heart. Stand before us. Then Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand in front of everybody. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees, religious leaders, went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. We have to understand here, Jesus is not abolishing Sabbath as a command. He's fulfilling it. He's restoring it to something that actually can be received and embraced as a gift. Because in this culture, and for many of you, if you did grow up embracing Sabbath, it was not a gift. It was dreadful and boring and terrible. Maybe you got in trouble a lot, just a real awful day, the worst of the seven. And that is not what it was meant to be. It's actually meant to be incredible. If you ask my kids, I've shared this before when we did our our series on Sabbath, they love the Sabbath day. For a real long time, they thought Saturday was called Sabbath day. Like they just didn't know. And they loved it because they get the best of me. I'm actually present and my wife and we're together as a family and it's not boring. Like we eat the best food and we drink the best drinks and we hang out with with people when it's my week to decide what we do and not Chelsea's because she's introverted and I'm extroverted. So we got to be thoughtful there. It's the best. We love it. It's a day to be thankful and present in the moment for what is already good instead of wanting other things, working for them, or worrying about them. For 24 hours, we choose to wrestle with our minds and heart and soul to trust Jesus. And it's still a practice. It's still challenging, but it's so good. Sabbath still matters today. One of the things that makes Sabbath so unique as a command is that it existed before sin. Sabbath is not connected to salvation. It existed before salvation was needed. When God created the world, he creates this rhythm of six days of work, which is good, by the way, work is good, and then a day of rest and delight in what that work did, of declaring it is good. That doesn't mean we pretend nothing is not good. There's plenty of not good, but it means we actually choose to trust that Jesus can handle the not good for 24 whole hours. Sabbath still matters today. I wholeheartedly uh, believe that. John Mark Comer puts it this way. I love it. He he says, uh, the creator God is inviting us to join him in this rhythm, this interplay of work and rest. And when we don't accept his invitation, we reap the consequences. Fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, Busyness, hitting home for anybody, starved relationships, worn down immune systems, physical, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. Sabbath is actually this incredible God given prescription for those things. We just choose to not believe the doctor often. Then he continues to say, You can eat concrete, it's not sin, it's just dumb. You can skip the Sabbath. It's not sin. It's just stupid. I love that. It hits home. And honestly, a lot of the time, I'm stupid. It's so unbelievably hard because our culture is fully against Sabbath and rest. Why? Well, because we like to be in control. We want to be God, not to trust God. We have things to pursue and visions to carry out, things to worry about and fix, and a whole lot of stuff we want. And so often we choose not to trust Jesus. Key, you have to hear me on this. This is not about legalism. This is not about salvation. This isn't about what you need for a relationship with Jesus. It's just about what is good. Going back to Exodus 20 here, and let's reread the uh, the start of the command if I can figure out how to turn there. Verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Something we need to understand about Sabbath is this Sabbath is not primarily a command of do nots, it is first and foremost the command that says, go do something. It's about what we are called to do on that day, what we're called to embrace, which is gratitude and delight and celebration and thankfulness, relationship with God, relationship with others. It's about what we're supposed to do, not what we're not supposed to do. That's the emphasis. That's the focus. But often when we hear about Sabbath, what we think about is all the things we're not allowed to do, how dreadfully boring and awful of a day it will be. That's not what it was designed for. That's not the intent and heart of it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is something to do. Remember, do not forget because it's this important and it's good for you. It's a gift to be given from the Son of Man, from Jesus, our Creator, Savior, and Sustainer. He says, here, do this because it's good. You'll enjoy it. Which also blows my mind every time when we end up talking about Sabbath. Like, Who in their right mind goes, hey, eat the best food one day of of the week and have the best drinks and the people you love and just enjoy it, delight in it, make it a great day to celebrate and rest and have fun and do things you want to do and just be thankful. And you know what we often do as the church and our culture? We go, nah, that sounds awful. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And then we're burnt out and anxious and angry and our relationships suffer and our mental health suffers. We go, why doesn't God do anything to help us? It seems like he's not there. He doesn't care. He doesn't show up. He doesn't listen. And all the time we go, 10 commandments are great. Eh, just not that fourth one. I don't know what God was doing when he came up with the fourth one. Let's break down the positive action of this command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word keep here means keep or to make So what we read in the scriptures and this passage included about Sabbath is that God made the Sabbath day and he declared it as holy. A way you could interpret or translate the word keep here is that we are to keep making the Sabbath day holy. Every week the job we have is to keep making it holy. So what is holy? It's one of those weird, spiritual, kind of ethereal, high in the sky religious words that we don't understand. But it's actually pretty simple. It's not that complicated. It literally just means set apart. It's something that's set apart and valued. Something that's set apart and cherished and honored and pursued, protected, given to, watered, fertilized, valued. It matters. So we set it apart as something holy. It's like this ring that I wear on my finger. I'm the only person that has ever worn this ring. It is holy to me and my wife. This is why marriage is holy. She is holy to me. She is set apart for me, and I am holy to her, set apart for her. It's why marriage is holy. It's something we're meant to value and protect, and there's the best sort of restriction in it, and it is good and healthy. This is holiness. How much more so when it comes to something God ordained like marriage is, this relationship we have with him. So what is the command? It's not a bunch of do nots. There's some of those that matter. We'll get to that in a second. First and foremost, do not forget. Remember, because it is good for you. There's always vision and good intent behind God's instruction. Do not forget. Remember to keep making, means weekly, the Sabbath holy, set apart. Now, here's where I think it gets really interesting. The Sabbath is one day of the week. I would argue it doesn't matter which day. It's just one day. So what is... What are the scriptures here declaring is holy? Time. A day is 24 hours. I love how how John Mark Comer says this in uh, Garden City, the, the book I quoted earlier. He says, this is intriguing. You would think that after creating the world, God would make a holy space, a mountain or a temple or a shrine. After all, every other religion has a holy space. Islam has Mecca. Hinduism has the Ganges River, Paganism has Stonehenge, baseball has Wrigley Field. But this God doesn't have a holy space. This is what is so fascinating. He has a holy time, the Sabbath. This God isn't found in the world of space, in a temple, on top of a mountain, at a spring, around a state or a monument. He's found in the world of time. But how often do we go, God? Where are you? God. Why don't you hear me? God, why don't you speak? God, why don't you care? God, why aren't you doing anything about this? And the whole time he's going, well, I've been there for all of that. But also I've set an appointment every single week to spend really good time with you and your family and your friends to not worry or work or want, but to delight. And it would be so good for you. But you never show up. This is the fourth commandment. Sabbath is this holy time. We blame God for not showing up all the while he's been there the whole time. Comer continues to say this, For those of us who believe in the Creator, the Ten Commandments are gifts from the very hand of God. The first three commandments are about our relationship with the Lord. the fourth commandment is a bridge it connects heaven and earth God and people. the last six are about our relationship with humanity once a week God walks out on the Sabbath bridge to meet us but most of us are no-shows we unapologetically stand up the creator of the universe week after week here's what this makes me think about I think when it comes to Jesus for honest so try to be honest for a moment oftentimes we don't value Jesus enough to meet him on his terms. We want Jesus to only meet us on our terms. Hey, Jesus, I'm ready to talk now. Hey, Jesus, I'm going through this crisis. Can you show up? Hey, Jesus, I made time for you here. All the while, he said, Hey, I want to meet with you then. And we go, Eh, I'm going to be the one that makes the appointments here, Jesus. That's what we do. What's actually happening? Well, we're trying to be God and grasp for control instead of giving control and letting him be God, which is actually what's best for us and everybody around us. Sabbath does require sacrifice, though. I want to be very clear about that. It will cost a lot. It's brutally hard. I'm still not good at being willing to sacrifice what is necessary. It's not going to cost you fun, and delight, and good food and time. It's not going to be really boring. Shouldn't be. If it it is, you're doing it real wrong. (laughs) But what it will cost is production. What it will cost is control. What it will cost is the pursuit of the vision you have for your life. And And in exchange, you have to choose to trust Jesus for that time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, we've talked about to keep making it holy once a week, kind of laid the foundation of why this matters, God's good vision of what holiness is. Let's just get kind of practical on how we do that. At its core, Sabbath is asking the question, will we give control to Jesus or will we continue to grasp it? Another way to put it is, is Jesus worthy of our trust for a whole 24-hour day? Often we say no. So making or keeping the Sabbath holy, requires intentional disengagement. Though the command is not about what we don't do, there are some things we have to consider to do what it calls us to. And Comer puts this framework, which I think is helpful, not working, worrying, or wanting. So as I go through our our Sabbath day as a family, here's how I process it. Is this work that I don't do it? Side note, that's important. If you're married or in relationship with someone or your family, whatever it is this, is, this gets hard. For Chelsea, my wife and I, we define work in different ways. Some things are work for me that aren't for her and vice versa. So is this work? Am I worrying about something and then trying to fix it? Or am I wanting? Not like, hey, I'm hungry. I want lunch. That's fine. But am I pursuing a vision of something else I want to create and build? For six days, God created and built, and then he rested and enjoyed it. If I'm working and wanting and worrying, I'm not resting and worshiping and enjoying what is already good. And we in our culture are terrible. I'm like the worst at enjoying what is already good in the moment because I see a future and I want to get to that future. I've missed a lot. It's actually really sad if I think about it. I've missed a lot of my kids growing up. Of the first decade of being married, because I was so worried about where I needed to take us. And that's probably true for a lot of you as well. Instead of going, what has God given that I can enjoy today? Doesn't mean there's not work to do. Doesn't mean that there's not real things to worry about. It doesn't mean there's not stuff that's okay to want. God made a lot of good things. But it's saying for 24 hours, I'm gonna say no to those and disengage so that, here's the important part making and keeping the Sabbath holy requires. This is the intentional engagement part. Resting and worshiping. We were made for rest. If you don't rest, you are just asking for a hell of sorts. Like your relationships will suffer. It's just simple. Your body will suffer. It's just simple. Your mental health will probably suffer. It's just simple. Like we were made to rest. So if we say, hey, God, you did a pretty good job creating. I don't think you really understand it, although I don't need the rest. Go for it. You will just pay the price. That's just how it works. And also, worship. That doesn't mean just singing songs, though that is part of worship. Worship is going, God, you are good. Worship is saying you're a brilliant creator. Worship is enjoying and celebrating. Are there spiritual components to the Sabbath? Sure. I try to carve a little bit of time to read in the scriptures. That could be just five minutes. We certainly pray as a family. But that's not the majority of the day. The majority of the day is delighting in what is there, whether that's relationships, whether that's food. I really like food and enjoying good food. (laughs) Whatever it is, we enjoy the best because God has provided it. Again, that's not pretending. There's not real concerns, worries, and things that need built. That's all there, which leads to the next part. To keep making this day holy, we have to be honest about time. There's specified amounts of time for all kinds of things in life, right? Like a movie, we go, oh, that's two hours. The average professional basketball game is two hours and 20 minutes. The average song on Spotify is three minutes and 30 seconds. If you're going on a first date with someone and you meet them for dinner, and the date lasts seven minutes over dinner, probably wasn't a great date. Like, that didn't go very well, right? Like, there's certain times for certain things. Same with Sabbath. There's a 24-hour window of time prescribed, And let me add to that and make it even harder because that's what you want. 24 consecutive hours. If we don't do it consecutively, it's almost like restarting. There's some benefit, that's good. But it's not the same. Nate and I talk about this a lot. It's like going on vacation for five days and on the fourth day, finally, you get to that place and you're like, ah, this is great. And that lasts for like three minutes and then you go, we gotta pack tomorrow. We gotta start getting ready. Sabbath is the same. There's something about like hitting that 22nd hour. I don't, I, I include sleeping in that, right? So we sleep the first whatever bit and then we're kind of refreshed. And as the, the sunset, the evening is coming and we're approaching that 24th hour, there's something like the 21st hour and you're just like, oh, this is good. I've actually been able to let go of my worries. I've actually been able to just enjoy instead of want and try to build. I'm actually good with not working right now. And maybe you're all way better than me, but it takes me about 24 hours if I'm honest. Now, some of you, it's not even a possibility because of work, school, kids, whatever it is. It's not possible. It's okay to just start with something and build towards that. But I think there's something to God's design here. And it's really easy to just excuse it and go, ah, I'll just piece together three eight-hour windows. It's not the same. Good start, yes, because this isn't about salvation. It's not about the law, the rule itself. It's about the heart of God, which is for your good. But I think part of how we were designed is for this one day a week to enjoy and delight in the good gifts of the Father. So you have to say, ask, question, can Jesus handle 24 hours? We come here on a Sunday and we sing songs about our good, loving Father that his love never fails or ends. And he could die on a cross and conquer sin and death and Satan and rise again. We go, I just don't know if he can handle 24 hours, though. I think he could do like 12, probably. But I think if I let Jesus like, be in control for 24, when I take the wheel back, he's going to have made such a mess of things. I don't, I don't, I don't think Jesus can do it. Like, at the end of the day, if we just back up and ask the question, that's what it comes down to. Do you think Jesus is capable of holding the world and your specific world in his hands for 24 hours? Again, I want to clarify. Some of you are in a place of life where you can't make that happen now. That's okay. You should not feel guilt or like you have to make a massive change now. It might be worth building towards that, though. Is he trustworthy to provide a pathway if that is his intent? I want to just close with like, well, not close. I got a couple quick things, but something practical. Because if you've never done Sabbath, it's like hard to know what does this look like. So a few things I've learned. Success or not success in embracing a Sabbath day for me and my family comes down to starting with ceremony. So if you do one of our Sabbath practices, we'll talk about this. Ceremony sounds like grand and amazing. It doesn't have to be. It can take one minute and be a simple prayer as we start the day and go, Jesus, you've given us this day. May you bless it. That's enough. Could be lighting candles. For a long time, we started it at a breakfast and we go to the same place every day. And there was something about going to that place that just released us and freed us into Sabbath. But there's something about having a starting point. Sometimes we'll do a gratitude circle as a family, and I'll say, hey, kids, what are the three things this week you're most thankful for? And we'll do it, and then we'll have a volunteer uh, pray to, to thank Jesus for that. Just something to say, it starts now. If I don't do that, life's too hard. Our culture's moving. Things move too fast. So there's something about ceremony. We'll start with one of those things, usually in the evening now at dinner is how we do it. For us, Friday night, I work on Sundays, so Sunday doesn't work for me then we'll wake up we'll usually try to have a great breakfast and so just this week so yesterday we did that chelsea and i worked together making breakfast the kids were playing really well it's also shocking what it does for kids if you have kids like they're so much better on the sabbath day i kid you not like and i actually think there's a reason they get the best of me they get the best of chelsea we're engaged we're not worried we're not working they feel that There's something they know about it. So they're playing. I don't know where Chelsea went. After breakfast, I hadn't really ate yet. So it got quiet, and I very quietly gave myself another helping of breakfast. And I very quietly filled my coffee mug, and I really, really, really quietly tiptoed to the front door, and I opened it so that no one would hear me or know where I was, and I went under the front patio, and I sat on a table, and it was the best 15 minutes. Now, later, I had incredible time. I was watching the Yankees game, which was not good, but I was throwing the football with my kid. It was great, but this 15 minutes was, it was powerful. I sat there on this table that uh, my friend Bill had given to me, like most of my furniture, and so I was praying for Bill and and thankful for Bill. I've been on this street uh, for like 26 years of my life when I was a kid our house was on that street and then we have one across the street now and I'm sitting on this table in my front yard I don't hardly ever sit there and I noticed this rock formation that looked like the Dells right by my house I'd never noticed it in like 26 years you see things differently then I looked at this explosion of violent purple flowers we had planted a year ago for like $15 and there's this whole cool row of them and I'm like oh that's awesome that those made it And then the the birds were singing, and I was eating, and my food was still hot, which I love. It was good. And then I started to look out, and I saw weeds and this rock wall I need to build. And I started to go, oh, my gosh, there's so much to do. And then I tried to let that go. And then naturally, you know what's kind of funny? In the most relieving, freeing way ever, I was just brought to this place of confession. God brought these things to my heart, and guess what I didn't do? I didn't try to fix them. I didn't try to work on my spirituality. I didn't try to work on my faith or work on my relationship with God. I said, Hey, God, this is your time. So you need to show up. I love challenging God in this way. When he brings us to something, great. You have me here. So this is your time. You do your thing, God. This is your show, not mine. And so I brought my words to him and I go, hey, here's some things going on in my heart. Not, I'm gonna make these better. Side note, sermon on confession. It's never, I will fix this now. It's here it is. God, go to work. And it was so freeing and good. One of the things we'll try to do is say yes to the kids as much as possible. We'll go play in the sandbox in the backyard. And again, I try to ignore the weeds and thorns. Instead of hearing crying or grumbling, going, man, their creativity and laughter is great. I mentioned it earlier, Chelsea's an introvert. So we kind of like shift weeks. Sometimes we'll do nothing. It'll be just as a family. Or I'll try to give her once in a blue moon an opportunity to just like go on a hike by herself. For me, I love having close friends and family over and we'll just hang out and enjoy and there's no pressure, we just do things. It's kind of what the the Sabbath day looks like. It's enjoying the best, being grateful. A couple of closing quotes on this. Rick McKinley uh, says this about Sabbath. When we come out on the other side of Sabbath, if you're brave enough to try this, we realize that the world has not fallen off its axis. The world keeps running because God sustains it, not us. The day after Sabbath, when all the work is there waiting for us, we come to it less weary, less burdened, and rested. Because believe it or not, God is God and he can handle it. One last quote from from Comer. He says, that's why Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there's a creator and he is good. Not just that there's a creator and he is good. We are his creation, this is his world. We live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing and we just be. We remember a place in the universe so that we never forget there is a God and I am not Jesus gave the time and place. If you're asking for him to show up and help a relationship, physically, whatever it is, he gave a time and place. Will we show up to the appointment? I love the, the book of Revelation. There's this picture of, of Jesus. He says, I, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes and opens the door, answers it, I will come in and dine with him. I think Jesus stands at the door of our wants, he says, I am enough. I am good. I will give. Jesus stands at the door of our worries and he says, I see them. I am here. I'll provide. I am in control. I think Jesus stands at the door of our work and hopefully says, well done. And now rest because I've got this and we'll get back to it. Your work will still be there the next day. So there's an invitation it's God that loves you holistically, perfectly, that knows everything about you, says, this is a gift I made for you that's good for you. And we get to choose to believe him or not. I think it's as simple as that. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you love us enough to give us the gift of Sabbath. God, it's so complex and countercultural. Help us to trust you in it. Protect us from... The enemy seeking to destroy it. May you just bless this day for us and lead us into it. Again, more than anything, we just thank you that you're good and that you love us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, And if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.